All right, so we've been talking about doing the New Testament next year, and some ladies made a video for me this week. They have been doing kind of a beta group a little bit, running through some of the stuff that we're, we're going to ask people to do as a group. And so they met this week and shared uh, some about that experience. So I just want to let you watch and see what they shared. All right, ladies, so we're challenging our church to go through the New Testament next year um, as a church, not just the New Testament, but in a group with some people, two or three others, same gender, it's preferable, right? And you guys have actually been doing this. You've been, you went to the book of Proverbs together. Um, so I'd just like to ask you a few questions about that experience. So one, just being in the Word of God regularly, how has that impacted your life, especially how did Proverbs relate just to your daily life? How did it impact you guys? Well, I definitely think just being in God's word um, and reading the scripture and applying that to my life is the biggest thing. And then be able to do it with the women. So, yeah, and doing that together just keeps us all accountable for it. Um, you know, if you're just doing it on your own, sometimes you can say, oh, it's okay to miss a day or I'll catch up, and then you don't. But when you know that you're meeting every week and you're going to discuss it and it just, yeah, holds you accountable to daily being consistent. I think we all even talk about the accountability of just opening up our Bibles and reading God's word was so valuable and so simple. Mm -hmm. And Proverbs is pretty practical what you were doing. How's it, some ways it impacted you guys, the word met your real life. Real life right now is parenting, and um, some of the big things that I took from Proverbs were uh, one of the things was about how you speak to each other, and specifically dealing with them with like with anger and um, talking about how it's words can be healing words, and we want healing words instead of you know like thrusts, sword thrusts. <laughs> type of words is something that Proverbs said. So. We definitely need to think before we speak, and Proverbs talks a lot about that and wisdom um, and just goes through that. So, It's a marriage. <laughs> yeah, marriage. Uh, things that we took away from it and just, we purposefully kind of put our group together, so Jamie and I are a little bit further on in our journey um, in marriage and parenting, and it's been good to just be able to um, give me a mentor because that makes it feel <laughs> way more formal than what it really is. But um, yeah, our little bits of wisdom that we have, so yeah, it's been good. Yeah, I think having the two seasons and then the two seasons of life um, help us interact as well. So yeah. And then how about just, just doing it as a group, not just being in the Word, but just the living life together, um, working through life issues as believers? How has that impacted you guys? Well, I think one thing we've talked about is just the praying. Um, I know that I can count on these ladies, no matter what, if I'm going through whatever in life, um, to text them, not just on Thursday morning when we meet, but to text them and say, hey, can you pray for this? And um, and I know that they will do that for me, and I would do the same for them. So I can think of one Thursday afternoon. I mean, one Thursday morning, we shared prayer requests, 
And by that afternoon, I had had an answer to prayer. And I was so excited to text you guys and share that with you, that just sharing and praying together, and it's so valuable. Yeah. I think it's amplified even more with COVID and especially for like introverts and that would be me. And um, so being able to um, not just isolate completely, but be able to have a small group um, that you can count on and you can interact with is, is so important. I forget how important human interaction is sometimes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, and I think you can do the big groups. Like I've been involved in a lot of bigger groups, but the small groups are where you can be a lot more personal um, with each other and in God's word and ask questions. Because I know sometimes I'm not as knowledgeable and I know that I can ask you guys and they're not going to treat me um, any certain way. So that's comforting. Yeah, that's great. That's the genius of doing it smaller is just what you said. So if somebody's watching this and they're like, I'm not sure I want to do that, or I might try the New Testament, but I'm not sure I want to do it with somebody, what would you say to somebody sitting on the fence as to whether to jump in with us next year? I think if you think that you're going to be able to do it just on your own, um, unless you have a ton of <laughs> the willpower and um, are able to just really stick with it and do it every day. I just think having somebody to do it with is going to create more success in being able to stay accountable and stay consistent and staying on track. So. I would even say find, start with one person that you're really comfortable with, that you feel like you can be vulnerable with, who maybe already even prays with you or walks alongside you, and maybe each of you invite someone to join you mm -hmm. just to think a little bit deeper mm -hmm. you know we don't want to be on that surface level of just coming to church and and reading our bible like we're made to have fellowship and um that's what god wants us to do so it's important i know it lifts me up weekly just knowing that i have you know this time with the ladies so yeah cool i do have one other question um Proverbs talks a lot about not just loving people with your words, but just being kind to people, not doing things that might hurt other people. Um, I'd like to know who had the idea of wearing all cheap stuff to this. <laughs> yeah. And I did get informed that the game, the Chief Broncos game, is the Sunday we're showing this stuff, so, which just I makes know. I yeah, kind of it just uh, yeah. it's, it's like not just stabbing, but it's like twisting the knife. Good teamwork. Yeah, good teamwork. But I did hear uh, not everybody actually owns has their own cheap stuff. Is that right? Who does not? Who had to borrow to actually wear something? <laughs> okay, so getting to the the truth of the matter here. So uh, and people who aren't seeing me. I had no idea you were doing this, but I'm wearing red today. <laughs> so ashamed. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you guys doing this. I love Thank what you. you said. Very powerful. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. They did a good job. Yeah, God must have been moving that day because I wore a red shirt that day not knowing. Tyler was the first to show up, and as soon as she showed up, I knew what was going on. So I uh, appreciate the teasing and the fun of all of that. So we um, are wanting to... Um, 
We're challenging everybody to read through the New Testament next year. We want to do it as a body. We want everybody doing it. We're going to preach through the New Testament following the reading, challenging you to do it not just by yourself, because as Tyler said correctly, unless you have just amazing, huganic, huganic, huge, gigantic willpower, that's a new word, huganic, um, most people will, will fail. By the end of February, I mean, by the end of January, you will not be doing it anymore. So we're really challenging you to do it, to engage um, as a group and with some people. We today are actually selling the New Testaments that we're wanting to use. And if we can get the, there it is, the PowerPoint thing going, we really want you doing it. Like I said, guys, you know, I had the guys from my group that were up here, what, a week, two weeks ago, I think, sharing similar things. This is just not just ladies that are encouraged through the Word of God, but guys, we need to be meeting with guys that we can be um, sharing our real lives and growing together. And this is uh, the New Testament that we're going to use. I've shown you this image before, but it has the reading of the day. So it goes Monday to, Monday to Friday, and then there's a weekend reading. It has the New Testament. It has an Old Testament section, and then it has what's called an insight, but it's some famous Christian has written something. I'm actually going to quote one of these at the end of the, the service today. Um, it's very powerful. Somebody asked if Version had this, and they do not have this exact Bible reading plan. So if you want to do it, we really encourage you, get, get the New Testament, the physical thing. Don't just read it, underline it, highlight the things God is speaking to you because you would be reading daily, meeting once a week with your group of two or three, and sharing the things God was speaking to you. We, when we give this out, we've got the schedule, the reading schedule in here, and Lisa helped me put together a bookmark that's a card that tells you how to do your daily reading, a very simple format of how to approach the scripture, and then a very simple format when you meet with your, your group of two or three or four is probably max. What that group would look like, you spend a little bit of time looking back, how was your week, what was good, what was bad, how was your application of what you read last week, looking up looking into the Word of God and sharing what you've been learning, and then looking forward. How can we be praying for you? And what action step, what one step are you going to take this week to be obedient to the Word of God that we read this week? So all of those will be available after, after the service. So we're hoping that we can get, um, we just love to get all of the body involved. And I want to, today, the next few weeks, we're actually going to work on trying to, to cast a vision for that. So we've been talking a lot that our mission and our purpose is we're longing to become a biblical community of kingdom people. And that biblical is really important, that we really want to be centered upon the Word of God. We want to be the kind of people that the Word of God impacts us all deeply and in a profound kind of way um, so that we can live the way we were designed. On the back of this card, which is out on the chairs, we put some statistics that came out last year. George Barna had done research last year for 2018, but the statistics were very striking to me. Um, the fact that only 5% of evangelicals in churches like this consider themselves Bible-engaged, that almost half of believers consider themselves Bible-disengaged. The thing that really surprised me um, was the fact that in 2018, 35% of evangelicals in churches like this Never once on their own at home opened a Bible and read any of it. Maybe they went to church and listened to things, but did not even open the Bible at all. And we don't want to be those kind of people. We want to be the kind of people who, um, who love God, who know His Word, and who are being transformed by it. So that's really going to be our emphasis for this year. 
Um, so I want to take, take a minute, and before we look at the Word, I'd like us to pray. So if you would stand with me. Um, we're going to pray a psalm that actually is on um, this card, something that I use a lot before I encounter the Word. It's Psalm 24, 4 and 5, so would you pray this with me from your heart as we engage His Word this morning. So, Lord, tell me your ways, show me how to live, guide me in your truth, and teach me, my God, my Savior, I trust you all day long. Amen. And you may be seated. And so when we talk about the Bible, hey, and by the way, Alan Connie are in the house, I see. So if you guys could get a wave, so say hi to them before you leave today. Uh, a lot of us know them really well. He, for those that are new, he was the former pastor here. Did a great job of being, uh, bringing the word every week and, and all of that, just being a, a soul friend and everything. So we're glad to have you guys. Did you get the deer yet? Not yet. I've heard it's a hard, it's a hard year. So, Okay. When we think about Scripture, there's several metaphors we could adopt about how and why the Bible is important. You could think about the Bible as food, that it's food for my soul. Scripture talks about that. We could talk about the, the Word of God being the filter through which everything I take in, everything I read, everything I hear, I filter it through the Word of God to determine its truthfulness. It can be a lens. It's the way that I actually, it, it influences the way that I see everything. I think the primary metaphor for the the Bible is, is story, that it's God's story, it's narrative, and we've talked about that, that God, there was creation and then corruption, and God one day will do restoration, and that all comes through redemption, that he's, he's, he's there's a story to everything that God's doing, and that I'm a part of that story. Um, but this morning, I want to use a metaphor that I use a lot with people, and it's this idea of a field guide or a trail guide. Um, anytime you go, to, if you go to the mountains to something and you're going to do a pretty long hike or a pretty big hike, especially in terrain that you don't know, it's really important that you have this either with you or you've studied it ahead of time. I was trying to find one of my 14er ones. I've got a, a field guide for 14ers and before I go, I'll decide which of the paths I'm going to take to the summit and it'll always tell you when you come to this place, make sure you go that way on the stream and don't go this way. Um, it's indispensable. And I feel like it's the same with the Bible, that it's a field guide to life. We know when God created the universe, he not only built spiritual, I mean, material laws, physical laws into the universe like gravity, but he built spiritual laws into it, things that govern how the, oper the universe is operated. And in the Bible, I think part of what God is doing is he's revealing to us the way he designed things and how they function properly. And so if I want to know how to live best in this world, I will know the Word of God, I will know its principles, and I will apply them regularly to my life. Because it is a field guide to life, the Word of God is. So when I think of that metaphor of the Scripture, of the New Testament, but the Scripture as a whole being a field guide to my life, the passage that immediately comes to my mind is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And I would like for you to stand again. I know we've done a lot of up and down today. Um, kind of like popcorn, but would you stand? And I would like you to read with me 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. And there the Word of God says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God 
may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. Um, If I were to diagram this out, not if I were, I mean, I did. It's really telling us two things about Scripture, that it's God-breathed and that it's useful. And then it tells us four ways that the Scripture is useful, and then it tells us the purpose for all of that. Um, Verse 16 starts, and it just says, all Scripture is God-breathed. I think the NIV does a really good job here because literally in the Greek, it says God-breathed, if I were to show it to you. The word breathed is the Greek word pneuma. We get our English word pneumonia from it, which is a breathing disease. In the Greek, if you look at the word for the Holy Spirit, the word for spirit is also pneuma. And that's very apropos because we read in 2 Peter 1.21 that it was the spirit, it was the pneuma of God who pneumed, who breathed out the word of God. So he is the one who actually inspired it. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but that word all, um, the way he used that, in the Greek, is significant because it actually means each and every. So he's saying that each and every part of the Word of God is God-breathed. If I were to use the old King James from Matthew 5.18, Jesus' words, every jot, every tittle, every part of it is breathed from God. The Scriptures in their totality, it is the Word that God did want us to hear. And we affirm that at 12th, always have, we always will. This morning, I want to focus on the second thing Paul talks about, which is how it's useful, because to me, this is how it, it, the idea of it being a field guide to my life. The, the scripture is profitable, beneficial, some translations say. It has practical uses in my daily and in our daily life. And Paul specifically says it is useful in four ways, as you can see. It is useful in teaching me, in rebuking me, in correcting me, and in training me. And I want to look at those four things. And I want to show you a diagram. Anytime I disciple a person, this is one of the things we talk about. And I use this diagram because, you know, I'm a very visual guy. And visuals help me to learn and remember things. So I want to work through this passage using this diagram. So first, we're told that the Word of God is useful for teaching. In Philip's translation, he says, for teaching us the faith. Eugene Peterson showing us the truth the New Living Translation, to teach us what is true. So the Bible teaches us the truth. As I get to know the Word of God, it is always strategically pointing me toward the truth, always. It teaches me the truth about God, about the world, about other people. It teaches me the truth about myself. And it answers all the big questions that everybody has, like where did the world come from, and what's the universe like, and who is God, and what's He like? What's right and wrong? What's, what's human nature truly like? The scripture instructs, it renews our mind, it clarifies wrong thinking. It takes false narratives that all of us have and it replaces them with true narratives. It takes lies and half-truths that we all believe, that our culture perpetuates, that we hear other places, and it replaces those things with truth. It teaches me all of the essential truths I need for practically living out my faith in my daily life. And I want to show you from Philippians 4. We're going to use this passage in Philippians 4 to show you all four of these aspects of Scripture. So in Philippians 4, 5 to 8, at the beginning, he, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And then he says, the Lord is near. Now, we're going to see in a minute, this Scripture has all four components of this. But the one place where there is like truth given of something I learn, it's this 
sentence, the Lord is near. So as I read this, if I'm a new believer and I'm like, okay, the Lord's coming is near. Now, near to him may not be near to me, but the truth is it could come at any moment and I need to be ready. So that's just an example from Philippians 4. This will become even more clear as we walk through this text and this passage. So if I were to summarize, I would say this, that the word of God shows us the path to walk on. The word of God shows us the path to walk on. Second, the Bible's useful, and this isn't easy to hear, but it's equally important. It's useful for rebuking. Rebuking. J.B. Phillips in his translation says it's useful for correcting error. Eugene Peterson, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. The New Living Translation, exposing our rebellion. That's a pretty powerful one, isn't it? Exposing our rebellion. So the Bible shows us our failings and our faults. It reveals to me what I need to stop doing, what I need to stop thinking. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I frequently find myself straying off the path. Um, I don't, again... I'm constantly struggling, I think, with thoughts, with attitudes of the heart, with behavior that are contrary to his word, and which are not good for my, they're not good for me, and they don't fit well with the way to live in the world in a healthy way. So as I read the Bible, God frequently uses his word to confront me with the things in my life that are not how they should be. It convicts me of my sin. The Word of God, to me, it acts like the referees we'll see today. The guy, it's like it, it throws the yellow flag and calls the penalty on something I've done. Um, for our international friends, I specifically did this for Mel, who was in first service. If you grow up with soccer, you know, where they fake getting hurt and fall down, and then they pull the yellow card, right? It's like it's God's way of pulling a yellow card on you. Let me show you in Philippians 4 how this works. So after telling us to be gentle and the Lord is near, the first thing in verse 6 is he says, do not be anxious about anything. Stop worrying. That's a rebuke. It's God saying, this is something that we all as humans do, but God rebukes that and says, don't worry. In that sense, it kind of functions like a stop sign. It tells me, don't go there. Stop. Danger. If you keep on that path, things are not good. Wrong way, please go back. Or if you're from my generation, danger, Will Robinson, danger. How many are from my generation who even know what I'm talking about? Is there anybody out there who knows the... Okay. Uh, so the scripture tells me to stop. Uh, in Europe, this is becoming more common. I like this, a dude with a big hand. In German, it's halt. Isn't that great? Halt. Don't go there. It's God's way of preventing me from continuing down a path which will only lead to my undoing and my ruin. So if I were to summarize it, I would say that the Word of God shows us where we've gotten off the path. It not only shows us the path to be on, but it shows us where we've gotten off the path. Third, the Bible is not only useful for teaching and rebuking, but it's also useful for correcting. And boy, am I glad on that one. In a minute, I'm going to tell you why that one is so important to me and should be to all of us. But the Word of God is useful, as Peterson says, for correcting our mistakes. Or the New Living Translation, it corrects us when we're wrong. Or Phillips, for resetting the direction of a man's life. So the Bible corrects our mistakes. It teaches me how to redirect my thoughts, my attitudes, my behavior into the right way. Um, that Greek word for correct is a fascinating word. It means to, mean, it means to make straight again something that's bent or crooked. 
It refers to the restoration of something back to its original condition or its intended design. It's a setting straight or a straightening out. It was often used in Greek literature of taking something that had fallen and setting it back up, or it was used of a person who would help up somebody who had stumbled and fallen down. It was used frequently in that kind of a way. So after exposing our sin by rebuking us, Scripture then lifts me up, it pulls me back on my feet, so to speak, so that I can continue on the path toward Christ-likeness. So in, the, in a sense, it functions as a signpost redirecting me back into the right way. I thank God that His Word doesn't just show me my faults. Aren't you thankful for that? That it also corrects me and shows me the true way. Um, that it gently guides me back into the right path by correcting our mistakes. I think that is a great grace. For me it is. It's a great grace. God is not only interested in pointing out our wrongdoings, like any good parent, He's really more interested in pointing us to the right way, right? That's what God is like. His heart, I think, is really in the correcting. You know what Satan wants to do when we get off the path? In total opposition to God. You know what Satan wants to do, so to speak? He does not want us correcting course. The thing that he most prefers is that we continue in the path that we're on. That's the thing that he most wants, is we continue in that path. If he can't get us to continue in, the, continue in that path, if we, if we see the rebuke and we stop, the next thing he wants to do is he wants to condemn us and rain down that condemnation so that we end up getting stuck there, feeling like there's nothing we can do. So he either wants you continuing in the path or he just wants you to feel condemned and get stuck. But the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, picks me up, brushes me off, gives me a pat on the backside, and gets me going in the right path. And that's what I love about God and what I love about the Scripture. It's what Peter did when he encouraged, I mean, Jesus when he encouraged Peter and after his betrayal. Didn't even really talk to him about the betrayal. Just the smell of the smoke of the fire reminded him of what he had done a few nights before. But what he did is his focus was getting Peter back on the right path and calling him into deeper level of service. So you see this in Philippians again. Right after rebuking, do not be anxious about anything, now he does the correction. Rather than worrying, do this, but in everything, through with prayer, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known, made known unto God. So instead of worrying, rebuking that, let me correct you, and the correction is, is be a person of prayer. And the promise is, is that if you do that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So you see how the scripture does that? It gives us some truth to know. It rebukes us in the worry, but it corrects us by pointing us in the direction of prayer. So I would summarize this one in this way, that the word of God shows us how to get back on the path. It shows us how to get back on the path. And once we're back on the path, the word of God trains us. Specifically, it trains us in righteousness. That's a pretty big Christian word. When I went from being a non-Christian to a Christian, those kind of words intimidated me. So I want you to think of righteousness in this way as right living is defined by God. Right living is defined by God. That's what it is. So the word of God is useful for training me in doing good living. In good living, Philip says. Or it teaches us what to, to do what is right, the New Living Translation. Eugene Peterson, it trains us to live God's way. And I really like the Amplified. Learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly 
and privately. So the Bible trains us into right living. So as I get to know the Word of God, it acts as a strategic field guide in my life, pointing me toward the right way to live in the world, something I think we all desperately need. It trains me in right living so I can continue to make progress in the spiritual journey toward wholeness in Him and towards being made more into the image of Jesus. Specifically, it trains me in right relationships with Him, with other people, and even with myself. And again, it kind of functions uh, as a signpost. I had to bring the Amish into this. It functions as a signpost, telling us in the words of Isaiah 30, 21, this is the way, walk in it. So if we were to look at Philippians, to me, this is what Paul does in verse 8. So first, he rebu- we, we learn truth at the end of 5. He rebuked, the Word of God rebuked in verse 6, don't worry. It corrects, instead of worrying, pray. But we all need training because it's easy to worry, right? It's easy to focus on the negative. I remember Al did a series on this several years ago. So here's what his training is. is He says, you're corrected by praying, but let me train you to even stop the worrying before that. And it's this, is that finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So the Word of God here is training us that if I will learn to focus on the good things that God is doing in my life and the good things, that will be preventative from the worry in the first place. So if I were to summarize this one, it shows us how to stay on the path. How to stay on the path. And what's the goal of all this? It's verse 17 where Paul says, so that, so that, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the whole purpose of this usefulness. If I were to show you, if I were to read this to you in Greek, literally the word order, it, this is what it would read. So that complete, that's the word artios. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I have these in red for a reason. So that complete may be the of God's servant for every good work being fully equipped ex Artizo, you see how similar the two words in red look? It's because Paul's doing a play on words. It's actually a little significant. That word artios, complete, um, it means to be fit, to be adequately qualified for a function. It means to be proficient in the sense of being able to meet all the demands of what is required you for a specific task. And then that word ex artizo, the word translated fully equipped, um, means to be completely supplied. It was used in their culture of a wagon that was going on a long journey that had everything it needed to make the trip. Imagine some settlers starting in Westport and going to California, and they have their covered wagon, and when they leave Westport, it being fully equipped for the whole journey. It was also used of a, of a vessel, a small boat that was used to rescue people in a larger boat that had, that had sunk or that had run on a reef or something that was fully equipped with everything it needed to do the rescuing. Now, I put the two Greek words up there because, again, they come from the same Greek word. They're closely related. And by using two closely related words, what Paul's doing is he's emphasizing the thoroughness, the completeness of this equipping. And that's why R. Kent Hughes, in his commentary, says, well, we can translate that as you will be super equipped. That's kind of what Paul's saying by using that same kind of word twice, super equipped. So the NIV actually does a really good job of translating it so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
of this, Albert Barnes wrote in his Notes on the Whole Bible, the idea is that whatever good work the man of God desires to perform, or however perfect he aims to be, he will find no deficiency in the Scriptures, but will find there the most ample instructions that he needs. So that's, that's that Scripture in a diagram. Isn't that a powerful Scripture? I think it's so fitting to me that God chose to reveal that through Paul because it's so consistent with his teaching in other places. This was Paul's goal with believers. Look at Colossians 1, where he says, He's the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It is to this end that I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ powerfully works in me. That's what he worked his rear off for, so to speak, was to present the people he ministered to fully mature. He was longing that we be, in Colossians 2, 7, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, so that, Ephesians 3, 19, that you may be filled, filled to the measure of the fullness of God. His desire was that, Ephesians 4, 13, that we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So how apropos that God gave this scripture to Paul to pen, because it's so much I felt like was his heart. So if I were to summarize, I really like J.B. Phillips, the way he translates um, this text. And so I want to end with that. And if you've never read J.B. Phillips' New Testament, I really like it. It's, uh, it's very powerful. So here's how he translates it. All scripture is inspired by God, and it is useful for teaching the faith and correcting error, for resetting the direction of a man's life and training him in good living. The scriptures are the comprehensive equipment of the man of God and fit him fully for all branches of his work. Isn't God's word a great gift? Is this not a great gift that he's given to us? So the scripture, to me, it's a field manual. It's a field guide. It's a trail guide. It shows me how to live well in this world. It helps me to navigate the rugged, and the confusing terrain of life. And has this year not had a lot of rugged and confusing terrain? Has it not? It has. That's why I feel like this year, not I feel like, I know more than ever, in my group of guys that we went through this this year, they were my, the, kind of my guinea pigs. Um, as we went through this this year, Scripture consistently spoke more deeply to my heart than it has at any point in my life. Almost daily. I would come with an issue or a question or something on my heart, and I found so often that, that the Word of God spoke to exactly the kind of things I was dealing with in my daily life. If we deeply and regularly invest in the Scripture, we will know everything that is essential to living life the best we possibly can. And that way, it's kind of like a Swiss Army knife, right? It trains, it teaches me, it rebukes me, it corrects me. It trains me. And if you've ever seen Crocodile Dundee, he'd say, that's not a knife. He'd say, that's a knife. <laughs> Look at that one. How do you even put that in your pocket? All right. Let me summarize these four things in this way. On that diagram, as I'm on my journey to being more like Jesus, I can expect that when I encounter God through the Bible, when I encounter Him through the Word of God, I can expect that he will show me what I need to know, what I need to stop, what I need to change, what I need to do. 
He'll show me what I need to know, what I need to stop, what I need to change, and what I need to do. And if you're looking for a way to read Scripture daily, to ask questions of it for God to speak to you, this is just one method that I use occasionally, and it's, it's from this passage, that in my reading in a day, I'll ask, is there anything I learn about God, the world, others, myself, in this part of the Bible? Is there any thought, pattern, or behavior God is asking me to stop doing? Is there any thought, pattern, or behavior pattern He's asking me to correct or to change? Is there anything that God's asking me to do that will train me more into right living? So this is a great passage to use in your daily time with God. How many of you heard of Forrest Finn? Actually, more of you have heard of him than you know, but the name's not that common. Anybody recognize that name? Forrest Finn. 15, 20 years ago, he buried a treasure in the Rocky Mountains. And he wrote a poem entitled The Thrill of the Chase that had clues as to where he had buried it. Um, gold coins, precious jewels were in there. Uh, millions of dollars was the word. And a lot of people have been on the hunt for this over the years. I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard the stories. There have been, over the last several years, people like in Colorado who died, who fell off a, a cliff or something, searching for this. That's how it was kind of in my awareness. There were people even asking him to stop the search. This past June, it was discovered. We don't know who, because the person wants to be anonymous, but they texted him a photo of the treasure, and he confirmed that it had been found. So now somebody is independently wealthy a hundred times over, but... Uh, good for them that they're not telling anybody about it. Uh, we'll hope that it doesn't wreck their life like usually winning the lottery wrecks people's lives. But, but I share that because Charles Swindoll said something really relevant to this. And it actually was something about two weeks ago, I think, when we were in, I think, First Peter, that in the insight, in where they quote some great Christian author, this was in the text in the New Testament we were doing. And here's what Swindoll said about the Scripture. There are few joys like the joy of sudden discovery. Instantly forgotten are the pain, the expense of the search, the inconveniences, the hours, the sacrifices. Solomon wrote about the greatest discovery of all, the treasure of Scripture, in Proverbs 2, 1-5. And he quotes Proverbs. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, Make your ear attentive to wisdom, if you'll incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, if you lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and you will discover the knowledge of God. And then Swindoll concludes, talk about a discovery. Hidden in scripture are vaults of priceless wisdom that can be hard to find if you're preoccupied or in a hurry. But godly truth is there, awaiting to be discovered. God's word, like a deep, deep mind, stands ready to yield its treasures. Treasures in teaching, treasures in rebuking, though it doesn't feel like treasure, but it is. Treasures in correcting, treasures in training me into right living. So 12th, here's my challenge as we head into the new year. Grab one or two friends. Some people you're close to. If you're like, I don't know anybody in here to do this with, I'll talk next week about a way that we can get you connected with somebody. But grab a friend or two and go through the New Testament together in 2021 with us. Commit to being in the Word of God next year. And I want to challenge you to test Him and try Him in this. 
Uh, the only place we're told to test God is Malachi 3. I'm stepping out a little bit on a limb by saying this, but I really want you to try him on this and see if he will not use his word in your life, if you're meeting with two or three other people, to teach you things you've never known before, to rebuke and speak to things in your life that need to change, to offer correction for those things in your life, and to train you to, be- to learn how to better live in right living. So that if you do it, I promise because I think it's God's promise of his word. If you do it in a year, you will be more thoroughly equipped to do every good work that he calls you to. More thoroughly equipped. So I ask you to join us on that. Can we stand and pray? I'd like to end in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Hmm. For the treasure chest this is. All the things you've taught me. All the ways you've spoken in my life and said, Garen, it's time to stop that. All the times you've corrected me and pointed me to the right path. Showed me how to correct those things. And all the ways that you have trained me into more and higher degrees of right living. I pray that this body, we would take this challenge up. I pray that... And this can't come from me, Lord. It's got to be from your spirit that you would be calling everybody here into a commitment to a year through the New Testament and that you would help them to think about who is a person or two that I can do that with and that we would be meeting in small groups of two or three all over the city, all during the week, talking about the word of God and the ways that it's shaping us. So I just pray, Lord, as this month even we talk about the word of God, that you would challenge us even more on how significant the word of God is in our life. We thank you again for that gift, and we pray in the name of Jesus, the living word. Amen. All right, 12th as you leave, uh, you can buy, get some New Testaments. Again, $5. Uh, Let me just tell you a really quick story. $5, they sell for $15 normally. They're not printed anymore. Last year when God was putting this on my heart to do this, and I shared it with the deacons, and they're like, let's do it. Since they're out of print, I thought I'm going to have to like every week buy like three of these or five of these on eBay. And I started doing that. And about a month in, I realized I had bought like five copies from the same guy. So I messaged, messaged him and I said, you wouldn't happen to have any more copies of this because this is getting really old, me buying one every week from you. And he texted back and he messaged me. I said, I have eight cases of them and I would love to just get them all out of my house. And so we got eight cases. I already had a case of them and some others. So God, I really feel like, has provided $5 cash back there with Ben. You can come up and get some from me with cash. If you've got a credit card, Melissa's back there. So 12th, you are sent to go grab a New Testament. And as always, you are sent out these doors into Emporia because this world desperately needs people who follow Jesus and who've been formed by him. You are dismissed.